I don't know, I just have to say what I said last week. I, I really, really love worshiping Jesus with you guys. Uh, I'm standing up here and I, I can feel it, I can hear it. And uh, it's a great, great privilege and honor to uh, worship the Lord with people who love Him. There's a lot of churches, people are just going through the motions. And I don't sense that that's true here. I sense that most of you, if not all of you, love him. And uh, Tyler does such a great job picking out the songs. Or does, uh, does Jess do it, Tyler? Okay. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't even know where the Lord's taking me on a text. And, and, uh, and he just he hit it right on the money because I am going to call you to surrender all to Jesus tonight. I'm going to challenge you to do that. You say, well, Jim, I don't see that in the text. I know. That's kind of not in the text. But it, it comes out of the text. So uh, you'll have to bear with me. You'll have to bear with me. I, I'm sure most of you have, have heard of Robert Louis Stevenson's great uh, novel, The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You guys are familiar with this book, right? You've heard, at least heard of this book. Uh, Dr. Jekyll comes to the realization that he is capable of both uh, great good and great evil. So he devises a, po- uh, a potion to separate these two natures with a view to uh, being good during the day so he can accomplish his goals and to be seen as eminently good in the eyes of his friends and colleagues. One of the unexpected consequences of this experiment is that he discovers just how evil he is. Just how evil he is at his core he finds out he is a bottomless pit of pride, egotism, and self-absorption. Dr. Jekyll is ultimately sickened at the depravity of his alter ego, Mr. Hyde. So he resolves to get control of Hyde and, and to, in a sense, to get religion. So he devotes himself to charity and, and uh, doing good works, both to smother and make atonement for Mr. Hyde, one day, Dr. Jekyll is sitting on the park bench delighting in all of his goodness. And he calculates that he is uh, far better than most men, if not all men, in all of his good works. You guys familiar with this scene? But as he's taking pleasure in how good he is, as he's taking pride in how what a great man he is, he's suddenly transformed into Mr. Hyde without the, the potion. You remember? You remember the account? So, why? Why does he suddenly transform into Mr. Hyde without the potion? You know why. You know, if you've read the book, you understand Stevenson's brilliant insight into human nature here. As Jekyll tried to cover his depravity with his good works, what happened? He actually aggravated and exacerbated his depravity. How so? In his good works, he was so full of pride, he could not be stopped. And what is the greatest sin? What is the, the, the foundational sin? What, it's pride. And so, in his uh, rejoicing and delighting in all of his good works, he discovers his pride. His good works don't shrivel his pride. In fact, it exacerbates his pride. And Jekyll becomes Hyde, not in spite of his goodness, but because of it. 
This is a tremendous insight, I think, for us to be knowledgeable of. His self-righteousness and self-justification are the pinnacle of evil. Jekyll Hyde incarnates the very pride and arrogance of the fallen angel Satan. Why did, why did Satan fall? Why did he fall? Ezekiel 28, his heart was lifted up within him. C.S. Lewis calls this, this sin of pride, he calls it the, the primary sin of mankind, uh, and, and it's behind all other sins. Listen to what Lewis says. At this very moment, you and I are either committing this sin, or we're about to commit this sin, or we're repenting of this sin. This is human nature. This is human nature. Beloved, there is no greater opportunity for pride than within the confines of man-made performance-based religion. And this is what Paul is going to condemn. This is what Paul's been condemning all along through the book of Colossians. He's going to continue to condemn that. Because man-made performance-based religion, it's always inflamed with self justification and self-righteousness. I know that you're probably aware that all major world religions are based on a works uh, foundation. They are performance-based. Basically, self-salvation through good works. Christianity is uniquely alone in that it proclaims that we are saved by... Someone tell me. Grace alone through faith alone in... You guys are awesome, man. I've been saying that for about the last eight weeks, and you guys are good. Praise the Lord. So, you guys listen sometimes. It's awesome. I know there are great periods of time when I just drone on and you can't stand to listen to me, but, man, I love to hear. I love to get that feedback. That's so cool. So cool. Man-made religion operates on the principle, I obey, therefore I am accepted by God. Right? And then there's that, also that implied kind of thinking, that, 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 that unspoken tenet there, that if I perform for God, what? He owes me. He owes me a certain kind of life. He owes me uh, a certain standard of living. If I obey Him, if I check my boxes, if I do what God says, He owes me. This is the way most man-made religions, if not all man-made religions, work. So how does, the biblical, uh, how does biblical Christianity differ from man-made religion? What is the principle that operates the gospel? It's not, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. It's, I'm accepted by God through Christ, therefore I obey. Biblical Christianity. Biblical Christianity. Tim Keller is a famous preacher in the States. Uh, he's well known. He tells... He tells a story about a, a young woman in his church who really understood the implications of being radically saved by, by radical grace. She really understood the implications for her personal life. Listen to how she says it. She says, if I'm saved by my good works, then there would be a limit to what God could ask of me or put me through. I would be like a taxpayer with rights. I would have, I would have uh, done my duty and now I would deserve a certain quality of life. But if I'm saved by grace alone, then there is nothing God cannot ask of me. Biblical Christianity. I appreciate the song that, that Tyler chose for us. Beloved, a call to follow Jesus is a call to give yourself away to Him. That's, that's the Bible. That's the gospel. 
It's not so you have a place to dress up and go to church on Sunday and be seen as righteous before men. It's a call to give yourself away to this awesome God, this awesome God who's given himself away to us. That is the implication. If we are saved by sheer grace, and we are, that is the implication. I think one, one reason that men uh, have sought to hijack the Christian gospel is to try to manage God's demands upon man. Keller's young friend is right. Men love to try to put God in their debt, don't we? Doesn't religion try to get God to be in our debt? It is a fallacious way to seek to manage God. You cannot manage Jehovah God. If we are saved by grace alone, then we are infinitely in God's debt. Any amens on that? If we are saved by grace alone, we are infinitely in His debt. And He is legitimate in calling us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross uh, every day and to follow Him. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. It's a legitimate call. If He has selflessly and sacrificially saved us in the manner that He has, it's a, it's a reasonable call that we should deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow Him. Tim Keller says this perfectly. Listen to how he says it. He says, he says, While the religious person is forced into obedience motivated by fear of rejection, a Christian, listen to this, rushes into obedience motivated by a desire to please the One who saved him. Amen? We rush in. You can't, you can't keep a real Christian back. You can't hold him back. He's hopelessly in love with this awesome God. I dare you to stop me from giving, myself, my, giving my life away to Jesus. Try to stop me. <laughs> that is the, the mantra of the born-again believer. As we resume our, our look at Colossians, Paul continues to refute the false teachers. We've been talking about this just by way of review. You know, they're promoting a, a form of self-righteousness and self-justification uh, through man-made additions to the to the gospel. We've been talking about this. Christ plus gospels. Christ plus gospels. They're always wrong. They're always false. And they're always demonic. They're from the father of lies. Anytime you hear a gospel that says you need Jesus plus something else, you know who you're listening to. It's not the biblical gospel. And so uh, to... To bring this into context, in my view, it doesn't matter if you call it Catholic, Protestant, or something else. If you're adding anything to Jesus, it's blasphemous. It's not the biblical gospel. If you say you need to add something to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And last week, the Holy Spirit, as we were in uh, Colossians, uh, the first part of chapter 2, the Holy Spirit made it uh, as plain as He can make it. He says, Jesus Christ is, who is He? He's God. And He saves His people. He doesn't need any help to save His people. He doesn't need a legalist to help Him. He doesn't need an ascetic to help Him. He doesn't need a spiritual mystic to help Him. He saves His people. It's done. We talked about that last week. He is I Am. He is Elohim. He is Adonai. He is, he is El Shaddai. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's God. He saves His people. And He needs no help. No help from mankind. Jesus is all you need. Here's the beautiful thing. He's able to save His people. He's utterly sufficient. But you know what else? 
He's utterly willing. He's utterly willing to save his people. And that's what he's done. Paul says, don't you dare add your stinking man-made religion to my awesome God. And this is what he's talking about in Colossians. Last week Paul said, it's not about circumcision, it's about Jesus. And tonight he's going to say, it's, uh, as we get into the text, let me just read verses 16 and 17 again for you. Therefore, let no one act as your judge in regard to, to food or drink or in respect to festival or a new moon or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. Today, Paul says, man... It's not, you know, last week it's not about circumcision and this week he continues with his uh, refuting what the, the Jewish legalists are saying. It's, and it's, it's, not about, it's, not about, uh, it's not about dietary, Old Testament dietary law. And it's not about uh, what festivals you celebrate. It's not about that. It's about Christ. This is what Paul is clearly saying. You don't have to do religious stuff. To be a Christian, you just have to know Him and go with Him. That's it. You don't have to do religious stuff. It's not about eating the right things or celebrating the right holidays or worshiping on the Sabbath. Paul says being a Christian is not about that. You're free from that. You're free from that. Apparently there was some spiritual intimidation going on. Look what he says here. He says, let no one act as your judge regarding these things. Paul says, stop trying to be a man pleaser. You know, world, all these world religions, these man-made world religions, it's about, you know, pleasing yourself, getting a, a hit of self-righteousness and self-justification, and it's about conforming and pleasing men because it certainly doesn't please God. We know that man-made religion is a stench in the nostrils of God. Just read your Bible. He hates it. He hates it. And I love what Paul says here in Galatians 1.10 about pleasing men. You've got to love this. You lo I love this verse. For am I seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still striving, striving to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says, what difference does it make what men say? You stay on Jesus. And that's what I'm calling you to do tonight. You stay on Jesus. And you answer His call to deny yourself, to pick up your cross and follow Him. You stay on Jesus. It doesn't matter what the religious men say or do. It doesn't matter. Paul says, hey, if I cared about what men say, I'd still be a Pharisee. I'd still be in Jerusalem. I'd still be a big man at the temple. I'd still be a, a religious a zealot Jew. He says, but I don't play religion anymore. I know God. I know Christ. I'm in a relationship with the, with the living God. I don't have to do religion anymore. I don't have to justify myself anymore. He says, I don't need that junk anymore. In effect, Paul is saying, I'm no longer trying to suppress Mr. Hyde within me through my performance-based religion. I'm no longer trying to do that. I have cast myself utterly upon Jesus Christ. This is what Paul is saying. I'm no longer attempting to put God in my debt. I am everlastingly and utterly in His debt. There are two points I want you to try to walk away from, from here with. Jesus is utterly sufficient. 
Okay? He's utterly sufficient. This is what Paul's been saying. He's utterly sufficient. We are saved by grace alone through the uh, sufficient work of Jesus Christ. He's utterly sufficient. And because He's utterly sufficient, His claim on your life is absolute. It's by grace. It's a free gift. And His call is absolute. He's never called anybody to lukewarm Christianity. He doesn't like that. He hates that. He doesn't believe in that. Listen, friends, if you've seen Him, if you've known Him, if you're in a real relationship with Christ, you can't stand lukewarm Christianity either. It's a stench in your nostrils as well. Jesus has never invited anybody into lukewarm Christianity. He invites them into a radical life of following Him and knowing Him and loving Him and being poured out for Him. Paul says it like this in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered Himself up for me. Paul understood the radical implications of salvation by grace alone. He never got over it. He never got over the fact that Jesus got nailed to a tree for him. He never got over that. And he lived in stunned awe. That's how we live. <laughs> That's how we're supposed to live too. Beloved, are you living in stunned awe? You should be. And I should be. Stunned awe. God has been nailed to a tree for my sin. Christianity was not simply true for Paul. It was breathtakingly personal. God had been nailed to a tree for him. Yes, his Jekyll Hyde self. God had been nailed to a tree for him. And Paul says, don't you dare add your religion to my awesome God. Don't you dare do that. Don't you dare add your religion to the biblical gospel. So because Paul really got this deep down in his born again heart, you know, he just couldn't live Christianity small. I've said this to you many times, you know, it's, that's an oxymoron to live Christianity small. It's a contradiction in terms. You can't do it. If you've really met Him, you can't do it. If you understand what He's saying in the Bible, you can't do it. You just can't do it. The Holy Spirit won't leave you alone if you try. The Holy Spirit won't leave you alone if you try. It was not a burden for Paul to hear the words, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. That was not a burden for him. It was an and beloved, if we're understanding the gospel, if we're seeing the beauty of Jesus, it will be our joy too. It will be our joy to go with Jesus. I love how Keller says it. We will rush into obedience because He's worthy. Because Jesus is worthy to live as Christ and to die as gain. Amen? You should all have that in your heads. To live is Christ, to die is gain. That's biblical Christianity. To live is Christ and to die is gain. Look at verse 17. Paul says that all the, all the ritual of Judaism is merely a shadow. Look what he says. He says it's merely a shadow of Christ. It all pointed to Jesus. It all foreshadowed Him. And Paul says, hey, I've come out of the shadows and I'm walking in the brilliant light of my awesome God. You know, sometimes people will talk to me and they have 
a real hard time reconciling the old covenant and the new covenant. I mean, some people get really tied up in a knot about this. And I, it's, it's like I don't really understand why they get in such a knot about it, but they do. But Paul uh, says it so perfectly in, in Galatians 3, 24 and 25. Listen, beloved, suffice to say, everything in Old Testament Judaism pointed to one person. Who's that? It pointed to Jesus. Everything in Judaism, Old Testament Judaism, pointed to Jesus Christ. That's what you need to know. If uh, you're a novice in the Bible, you can start there. That's what you need to know about the Old Testament. It's pointing to Jesus Christ. Galatians 3, 24 and 25, regarding the law, listen to what Paul says. Therefore, the Old Testament law has become our tutor to lead us to Jesus, that we may be justified by faith. Not that faith uh, now that faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. You hear what he's saying? Remember what Paul told the Galatians. He said, why are you deserting God's grace for man-made religion? That's what that whole book's about. And in, in large measure, that's what the book of Colossians is about. He says, man, in Christ you're free from that junk. You're free from that slavery. You no longer have to bear that yoke. You're free in Christ. You know why men love to pile up external man-made religion on top of biblical Christianity, which, you know, the Catholics have done it, and so, so have many Protestants. You know, why, you know why they love to pile stuff up on top of it? You know why? Because it's easier than being born again. It's easier to do stuff. It's easier to check your box than to simply be born again and walk in radical uh, submission to the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, it's so much easier just to check a box. Yeah, I did that. Check. Man, Jesus doesn't call us to check boxes. He says, follow me. Follow me. That's what the Lord Jesus says. Man, you don't have to be born again to, to check a box. You just check it. It's just flesh on parade. It's something you can do in the flesh. It's something you can do in the flesh. It's a game you can play on the outside. Right? It's a game you can play on the outside for men to see. When there's all manner of wickedness in your heart. It's just a game you can play on the outside. That's what man-made religion is. It's a game. And pseudo-Christianity. It's a game you play on the outside. That's all it is. That is all it is. You know, it's easier to check a box than to go with Jesus. But I want to say to you from personal experience, and I know many of you could give a similar testimony, it's not as much fun. It's not as much fun as walking with Christ. I've done man-made religion. I did that for a long time in my life. And then I, was, then I was radically saved at 28. And I realized, man, I'd just been box-checking all my life. It was dead. It was meaningless. It was empty. And then I was born again. Then I was born again. It's just more fun to walk with Jesus. not always easier, but it is more fun. Paul says, stop being an external box-checker. He said, stop trying to please men. Stop letting men judge you. By their man-made standards. In fact, Galatians 5, 3 and 4, uh, Paul says, Man, if you're adding anything to Jesus, you've just lost Him. Do you remember that text? He says, if you're trying to add anything to Jesus, you've just lost Him. If you're trying to be justified by works, you've been severed from Christ. The text says. You've been severed from Him. 
if you're still trying to justify yourself by your works. Look at verses 18 and 19. Verse 18 and 19. Let no one keep defrauding you of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels taking his, his stand on visions he has seen inflated without cause by his fleshly mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. You get that? I love that last sentence. It's a growth which is from God. So Paul leaves Jewish legalism and he turns to rebut spiritual mystics. That's what this little section is about. In fact, in the text that Keith read, I, I noticed that the word ascetic was actually in the text. Satan loves to attack us on all sides. He loves to tell, it, tell us that we're not saved because we're not doing enough stuff. And he loves to tell us that we're not saved because we're not experiencing enough mystical things. He loves to attack us on both sides. The Jewish legalists were saying, you know, you're not checking enough boxes. And the spiritual mystics were saying, you know, you're not having enough supernatural experiences. And the implication is you're either not a Christian or you're some uh, second tier kind of Christian. Beloved, this is false. If you're born again, the Holy Spirit is in you. You don't have to do anything to be saved. You are saved. Don't let anyone judge you about your spirituality in that regard. This is what Paul is saying. Listen, look at verse 18. He says, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. He says, stop listening to these guys. And in honor of Dave Johnson, I'm going to use a phrase he used to use all the time. Stop listening to these yahoos. They don't know what they're talking about. Stop listening to these legalists and these mystics. They don't know Christ. Or they wouldn't be talking like this to you. Don't let anyone defraud you of your prize. What's your prize? Your salvation? Satan loves to, he, he loves, he loves to get us to think it's all about us, even in, even in our own eternal security, even in our own salvation. He loves to get us thinking that it's all about us. It's, it's about my external performance or it's about my ecstatic experiences. Beloved, Paul says, stop listening to that. You rejoice in who you are. In Christ Jesus. Don't let anyone defraud you. Don't let anyone deceive you, trick you, con you, or dupe you. This is basic Christianity. Christianity 101. God saved you. It's done. You don't have to perform for men. You just go with Him. You don't have to perform. You know, you can check boxes until the sun goes down, but you're never going to save yourself. You can have ecstatic experiences until, uh, until it's dark, but you're never going to save yourself. Jesus has saved His people. It's Christianity 101. It's Christianity 101. We know the story. In eternity past, God set His heart on His people. And I always love what He said in the Old Testament. So we see, as He said this to the Hebrews, but it, it applies to us too. He says, he says, I have loved you because I have loved you. You know, the implication is there's no good thing in us. He says, I, I, I have loved you because I have loved you. I love that about the Lord. And we saw it last week in Romans chapter 8. I, I, let me just read a little bit. Is it okay if I read just a little bit of Romans chapter 8? I, I know I read some of it last week. Is it okay if I just read a little bit? Okay. 
For whom he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. And whom he predestined, these he called. And whom he called, these he justified. And whom he justified, these he glorified. If God is for us, who can be against us? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Stop listening to these yahoos. You're saved. You're in Christ. It's what he did. He did it. Christianity 101. It's basic Christianity. You need to know that, friends. You need to know that. Verse 18. This word he says here, this, this, this term self-abasement, it simply means humility. Paul says, look at these guys. He says, look how he talks about them. He says, they're delighted in their own humility. Yeah, we're back to that Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. They're proud of their humility. And their evil is on display in their pride. One thing Paul is addressing here, if you su- just simply do a superficial read of the Gospels, you discover that the strongest condemnation that came off the lips of Jesus were pointed at whom? Religious men who were justifying themselves by their works. Jesus Christ hated it. And he said to those men, he said, man, you're full of pretense and hypocrisy. Man, go read that chapter. I forget what chapter is in, in Matthew chapter 8. I preached that one time. It's like eight woes. He says, woe unto you. You self-made religious hypocrites. Woe unto you. You are full. You are whitewashed tombs, but within you are full of dead men's bones. You remember that? Wow. Jesus hates hypocrisy. He hates it. He hates religious pride. Beloved, I said it a while ago. It's flesh on parade. Man-made religion is just flesh on parade. Look what Paul says. He says, such men are inflated without cause by their fleshly minds. You know, there are many within what is called Christendom today who in fact elevate the flesh, the fleshly experience over truth. I know that many of you have experienced this. You know, the the implication is if you're really saved, you'll be having mystical experiences. You'll be having ecstatic experiences. You'll be experiencing the deeper life or the higher knowledge. If you're really saved, these things will be true of you. And the clear inference is if you're not experiencing these things, you must not be a Christian. Or again, you're some kind of second-tier Christian. Beloved, this is false. Paul says, don't listen to these guys. You're spiritual enough because you're in Christ. That's enough. Hey, I'm spiritual enough because I'm in Christ. I don't have to perform for you. I don't have to meet your expectations. I just try to meet His expectations. And when I fail to meet His expectations, I fall on my face and I confess my sin and He removes it from me as far as the east is from the west. What an awesome gospel, friends. We have an awesome gospel. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievably beautiful gospel Paul says these guys are clueless man he says they're not holding look at verse 19 they're not holding fast to the head so what is Paul saying he says they're not holding to Christ Christ is the head of the body and they're not holding to him lastly Paul is going to talk about again he's going to uh, more directly address the ascetics look, look what he says here in, in uh, verse 20 to 23 and if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as, you, uh, why as if you were living in the world do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. 
These are matters which uh, have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. Paul, uh, pardon me, the Holy Spirit uses this term over in Colossians 2.8. You may remember if you look over in Colossians 2.8, the Holy Spirit mentions elementary principles of the world. He uses the same thing here. Over in 2.8, he was talking about human-made philosophy, human philosophy. In this text, he's talking about man-made religion. He says these are the elementary principles of the world. What's he saying here? It's a not-so-subtle way of saying man-made philosophy and man-made religion are stupid, and you need to stay away from it. I love how uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases this in the message. He says, he says, man, this stuff is infantile religion. Don't you love that? That's the perfect paraphrase. It's infantile. It's infantile. It's infantile. And you know, church history, asceticism used to be quite popular. I mean, if you were going to be one of the spiritual elites, you had to be an ascetic. And uh, what does that mean? It just means someone who purposely lives a life of austere self-denial. And in, in a religious sense, it means that I can earn something from God because I treat my body harshly and because I'm austere. You know, there was one guy, this is a true story, I saw this, I can't believe it, I saw it in my research, Simeon Stiletus. He was so spiritual and uh, he never bathed or changed clothes. It said, it was said of him, quote, when he walked, vermin dropped off his body, unquote. That's how Paul says, why are you listening to this, this stupidity? You don't need asceticism. You are complete in Christ. What did we see last week? You are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. Look at verse 22. He says, uh, well, verse 21, he says, man, you know, don't worry about this stuff. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch verse 22 these things are in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men again the elementary principles of the thinking of men verse 23 look at what he says about man-made religion false humility and asceticism he says they appear to have wisdom but they have no power over the flesh we're back to dr jekyll and mr hyde paul says yeah all this stuff on the outside it looks good but it doesn't change the heart it doesn't change the heart it has no power over the fallen flesh of mankind. Jekyll could do lots of good works and he could please men all day, but he could never pile up enough good works to eradicate Mr. Hyde. This is man's fundamental problem. Man's fundamental problem. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism has no power over the flesh. It's flesh on parade. Flesh on parade. Beloved, self-justifying man-made religion is a stench in the nostrils of God. And I want to say to you, it's the, the most insidious evil on the planet. You say, well, Jim, surely there's something more evil than false religion. No, there's not. You know why? Because it doesn't look evil. It's like the whole Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing. It doesn't look evil, but it is evil. It is evil. It's from, as we've been saying, it's from the Father of lies. Now, some of you may not have needed this sermon on the inherent evils within man-made religion. Some of you are uh, biblically sophisticated. You know this. You know that even including pseudo-Christian uh, Christ plus Gospels, you understand these things are man-made. You understand that they are wicked in and of themselves. 
Maybe some of you didn't need to hear that. But I know every one of us needed to hear this. I love what that young woman in Tim Keller's church said. If we are saved by sheer grace alone, there is nothing God cannot ask of you. You are infinitely in His debt. Friends, there's something egregiously wrong. Karen loves that word. There's something egregiously wrong. If you've set limits on how far you'll go with Christ, there's something bad wrong. Bad wrong. And you need, maybe, go home and get on your face and spend time with Him and catch a new and a fresh glimpse of Him. And I promise, if you catch a new and fresh glimpse of the living God, you won't be setting limits. Oh, now you will obey Him. Maybe some of us in here need to be reminded that radical grace demands a radical life. And that's what I'm calling to you. That's what I'm calling you to, friends. You are saved by radical grace. And to me, the only reasonable response to that is a radical life of obedience. A radical life of obedience. Let me just close. Jesus said, if you're in me, you will know the truth. And the, tr- and the truth will what? Make you free. Are you free? You're supposed to be free. You're supposed to be free of religion. You're supposed to be free of human philosophy. You're supposed to be free of legalism and mysticism and asceticism. And you're supposed to be free of pseudo-Christianity that adds junk to Jesus. You're supposed to be free of the life-stealing and soul-crushing conformity that the world tries to press us into. You're supposed to be free from all your guilt, all your self-reproach, all your shame. You're supposed to be free from all your anxieties and all your fears and all your worries. And you're, you're, not, supposed to be, you're not supposed to be living a small, manageable, risk-free Christianity. Jesus says, come and go with Me. Deny yourself. Pick up your cross. And come with Me, Jesus says. And I just want to say to you, you, you true believers out there, you know what I'm talking about. This, you know, the unbeliever, when you, when you say that verse to them, they, they hear kind of a, a grinding obligation to go with Jesus. But the true believer understands that this is the best and deepest and widest and freest life there is. It's to go with Christ. So, beloved, as I always do, I exhort you to get busy living your blood-bought freedom as large as you dare. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for this scandalous freedom. Thank You for this reminder that we're not here to please men. We're here to please You. It's not about us. It's not about religion. It is about Jesus. We thank You that You've, you've reminded us, Father, and You've exhorted us to be genuine. To be genuine of Christ. And Father, this... this this serious call that Jesus puts to His people to to deny ourselves and pick up our cross daily and go with Him. We don't hear it as some uh, grinding kind of obligation. We hear it as as a beautiful invitation to go with the living God. 
And Lord, I pray you'll give us the faith to live like that. We have just moments left on this planet. We are vapors upon the earth. Lord, may we hear what your Spirit is saying. May we radically respond to this radical gift of radical grace. This is the call of Christianity. Lord, help us to understand it and help us to live it, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.